I do welcome visitors. I know there's people that are here. I think for the first time, I'm not certain, but certainly we have people who are not normally here, but it's so good to see them, so good to know that, that the family of God expands and is out there. I know you know from the bulletin, from the insert, that the title of my sermon this morning is The Lord's Touch. <clears throat> I know that you know the text is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 22, it should be to 26, but I made a mistake and I told Kate 27, so she threw in verse 27. It doesn't fit, but we'll ignore it. And, uh, of course, the outline of my sermon, you'll find that. So the title, the text, and the outline for your easy reference is in the insert in the bulletin. Every time I get up and I purport to speak for God, I want his approval, I want his anointing. And you should want that as well, so that my words are, in fact, acceptable to God. So Psalm nineteen fourteen states, Dear Lord, this morning let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen? You know, in our text, we have the rather remarkable story of the healing of a man who was blind. And the Bible gives us the record of six different blind people to whom Jesus gave sight. There was an occasion when Jesus touched a man once, and immediately he received his sight. As we see in our text, Jesus touched this man and Bethsaida a second time before he fully received his sight. On another occasion, Jesus made mud out of his spittle and put the mud on a blind man's eyes, and whereupon his sight was restored. But of course, we know that when Jesus came to the synagogue, he stood and he quoted Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. That's recorded in Luke 4.18. He stated, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has pro- sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. But then he added to Isaiah when he said, and recovery of sight to the blind. By the way, he meant spiritually blind. Now there is something very interesting in our text. And I want you to notice in verse 22, we read that Jesus came into the city of Bethsaida and there were some people who came to him bringing a man who was blind. They begged Jesus to touch this man and to heal him. I want you to notice in verse 23 what Jesus did. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. The healing of this man took place outside the city of Bethsaida. And then I want you to notice what Jesus told this man in verse 26. He said, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in that town. Now, why would Jesus not perform a miracle in Bethsaida? Why would Jesus tell this man not to tell anyone in Bethsaida what had happened to him? Well, you see, sometime earlier in his ministry, Jesus had pronounced a curse on Bethsaida. Matthew eleven twenty to 22 states, Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent 
Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. See, Jesus pronounced a curse upon Bethsaida. And with a curse upon it, he will perform no miracle there. He takes the blind man by the hand, leads him out of the city, and restores his sight. Jesus felt that Bethsaida did not deserve any more evidence concerning his mission or his ministry. They had already seen more than enough miracles to be convinced that he was the Messiah. They had already heard the truth which he had preached. There is a sense which, in which no one deserves to hear the gospel multitude times until everyone has heard it once. See, the Lord had done all the miracles and he had healed many of the people and he preached all of the sermons that Bethsaida needed to hear. And it was up to the people of that city to respond. The Bible tells us that God's spirit will not strive always with man. In fact, some of you here this morning Maybe having the last opportunity you will have to answer the call of God and to respond to the entreaties of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are three things that I want us to see in this passage of Scripture. Three things that I want us to see about this man who was brought to Jesus. First, considering your outline, the darkness of this man. In verse 22 of our text, we are told that Jesus came upon the city of Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him. Now, there is a sense in which the blind symbolically represent those who are unsaved. For example, in Ephesians 4.18, the unredeemed, the lost, are described. The Apostle Paul says that their understanding is darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. He, sees, he says that their hearts are blinded and their understanding is darkened. And in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 to 4, Paul says that Satan keeps the light of the gospel from shining upon people. He said, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should shine on them. See, God's word plainly teaches that lost people are blind spiritually. And so the physical darkness of this man in our text speaks to the spiritual darkness of those who are lost and without Christ. Now, one thing that spiritual darkness will do is this. It will blind a person to the truth of the gospel have you ever heard anyone say, I don't understand the Bible. I've heard the Bible preached. I've heard the Bible read, but it doesn't mean anything to me. I've heard people say that again and again. What has happened? The devil has blinded them. The light is shining, but the devil has blinded their eyes so they cannot see. They're living in a fog. You see, there are a lot of people in a fog there are a lot of people who are spiritually blinded. 
But not only does spiritual darkness blind us to the reality of God and the truth of God, but it blinds us to our moral sensibilities. And this is precisely what Isaiah was talking about when he said in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You see, a person can become so devoted to sin and so defiant against God that he lapses into a state of ethical blindness. And that means that he gets to the place where he calls evil good and good evil. He gets all things topsy-turvy. He may get to the place where he can carry a Bible under one arm and a packet of hate literature under the other. He may come to the place where he can burn a cross as a symbol of hostility, violence, and destruction instead of displaying it before the world as an emblem of peace, love, and salvation. He may even develop what he calls the new morality, which is nothing more than the old immorality. See, we are living in a time that the things which used to be bad are good. And the things that used to be good are bad. We're living in a day when people can justify gambling and lotteries in order to pay for the education of our children. We live in a day where we liberalize liquor laws in order to make the city appear more attractive to those who are looking for a place for their convention and to spend their money. Look at what is happening on television and movies. Homosexuality, fornication, and adultery are exalted, and courage, loyalty, marriage, and the church is belittled. Everything has been reversed. But not only does sin blind us to the truth, and not only does it blind our moral sensibilities, but it blinds us to our opportunities. There are opportunities of service and ministry, and opportunities to witness all around us but we never see them. I'm reminded of the story of Queen Mary, who made it her practice to visit Scotland every year. She was so loved by the people there that she often mingled with them freely without a a protective escort. Well, one afternoon, while walking with some children, she went further than she had planned. Dark clouds came up unexpectedly, and so she stopped at a nearby house to borrow an umbrella. If you will lend me one, she said to the lady who answered the door, I will send it back to you tomorrow. The woman did not recognize the queen and was reluctant to give this stranger her best umbrella. So she handed her one that she intended to throw away. The fabric was torn in several places and one of the ribs was broken. The next day, Another knock was heard at the door. When the lady opened it, she was greeted by a royal guard. And he was holding in his hand her old tattered umbrella. The queen sent me, he said. She asked me to thank you for loaning her this. For the moment, the woman was stunned. And then she burst into tears. Oh, what an opportunity I missed I didn't give the queen my best. That story reminds me of the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, 42 to 46, when he said, 
For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. But they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in a prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, sin blinds us to the truth. It blinds us to our moral sensibilities, and it blinds us to our opportunities. Our opportunities to help others, yes, but most of all, it blinds us to our opportunities to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this blindness, this darkness, is a characteristic of the lost, the unregenerate people. Second, considering your outline, the distortion of this man. Now, we live in a world of distortion. Distortion is not good. I want you to see the distortion of this man in Mark 8. Look in our text in verses 23 and 24 and see what happened. Verse 23. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. At this point... This man's vision is no longer darkened. It is distorted. He can see, but he cannot see clearly. At this point, he seems to represent the believer. He seems to represent the Christian, the Christian who has simply not gone on with God. You know, there are many Christians. They have been born again. They are going to heaven. If they died today, they would be with the Lord, but there is not heaven in their lives. They seem to be caught in a nebulous area between where the demonic forces of the world had their mightiest work, and yet this side of where God does His work. They seem to be running with the hares and hunting the hounds. And like this man, they know too much to be ignorant, and yet they seem not to know enough to walk in the glory of the life with God. Here, in our text, we have a man who had a testimony. He said, yes, I see, but I don't, like, I don't see like I ought to see. I don't see what I want to see. In fact, I just see enough to have a little taste of what real sightedness can be. I see movement. I see light. I see men, but they're indistinct. Their image is blurred. There is a distortion. I see, but I don't see well. I wonder how many of us in transparent honesty would have to say, that is where I live. Most of us would have to say, that is where I get every now and then. And that is, I seem to know something, but not enough. I seem to see something, but not enough to change and revolutionize my lifestyle. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I find this condition of distorted vision absolutely unacceptable. It's not acceptable physically. When my vision gets distorted physically, and it has, I go to the doctor, get eyeglasses, or get my prescriptions changed. This condition is not acceptable spiritually. You don't have to live communing between Egypt and Canaan. You don't have to live in glory one minute and gloom in the next. You don't have to live a distorted spiritual life. If there is anything clear in the New Testament, it is the kind of life that Jesus came and died and was arrested to give us. And that is an abundant life. In fact, let's go ahead and admit that much of what we're experiencing in the Christian life is not what Jesus has provided for us. It is not abundant life thinking. It is not abundant life acting. It is not abundant life giving. It is not abundant life living. The great segment of those who say they are in the body of Christ are in this category. They are, they are neither in heathenism nor are they in sainthood. They're not absolutely with the world nor are they absolutely with Christ. This business of being a Christian is not a part-time situation. You don't choose between the regulars and the reserves. And if we were not taught and we didn't learn that, then we will apply what we have learned in the world to this matter of the Christian walk. And we can determine then that somehow we can commute between our way of living Monday through Saturday to our way of living on Sunday. Somebody said of Christians who gather, they get together on Sunday, but they'll adjust on Monday. That's true of many Christians. You see them on Sunday and they smile with the saints. They sing the songs, they sit to listen to the sermon, but on Monday you can't tell them from the world. They have learned the words, the lingo, even the holy looks so that they will not be so embarrassed and out of place on a Sunday morning. But on Monday morning, they are just as much in place with the world's thinking as they wanted to be in place with the church's thinking on Sunday morning. Here in our text is a man who said, I see, not well, but enough to know that there is more to seeing than this. Is that you to some degree? Are some of you willing to say, I know something of God's grace. I've experienced something of God's glory. I know something about what it is to get God in my affairs by the activity of faith, but I know just enough to know that this is not all there is to know. People ought not to have to live in partial blindness, and in particular, in blindness spiritually. You see, Jesus was always dealing with people who didn't know how to walk in the Spirit. And he would show them God and how to behave and how to believe so they could see God in action. And that is precisely what God wants to do. He wants to move in the body of Christ in such a way that the life of God can be put on exhibit. This man formerly blind, had to make one candid confession, and he said, this isn't it. This couldn't be it. 
I still can't see well enough to walk around. I can see better than I did, but not like I want to. Listen, Jesus came into this world and died for your sins and rose for your justification. He ascended back to the Father, and now he intercedes for you. He has done all of that so that you might have more than a life that is partly in and partly out. There are a lot of people who are not enough in darkness to be heathen, but they're not enough in the light to walk like a saint. You need to be as honest as the blind men and just say, this isn't it. There's got to be more to the Christian life than what I'm experiencing. Well, now we've considered the darkness of this man. We have considered the distortion of this man. So let us now consider, third, the deliverance of this man. Look in our text at verse 25. Mark says, Then he put his hands on, the eyes, on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Obviously, what this man needed was a second touch. Now, I'm talking about that time in your life when God again touches you and you see and you know you see and you act like you see and it changes your lifestyle. It filters down into how you spend your nights and how you spend your days. It filters down into what you watch on television and where you go. It filters down to the friends you choose and the way you spend your money. Listen, anyone who walks with God and anyone who prays and anyone who opens the book is going to receive touch after touch after touch after touch and is going to be changed from day to day to day. But listen, the touch will never come until you get honest about where you are. If you know all you think you ought to know, then you are as smart as you're going to be. If you've got as much power as you think you need, then you've got as much power as you'll ever have. If you're walking in as much glory as you want, you're walking in as much glory as you will ever experience. But when you get as honest as this man in Mark 8 and you're willing to say, Lord, I can see, but I can't see well. Something needs to happen with my life. God will begin to work in your life to give you a clear vision. Now, I don't believe that you'll ever get to the place in your Christian life where you could say that you have arrived. At least I know the Apostle Paul never got there. He said in Philippians 3, 12 to 14, Verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. In other words, I have not arrived. I have not made it to the summit of the mountain. And then he said, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I believe that if you'll keep your gaze toward him, 
I believe that if you'll pray, Lord, change me, move in me, have your way in my life, I can see, but not like I want to, and not like I know you want me to. And then trust and surrender to him. Then I believe you will be able to see in a new way. I believe you'll be able to see your spouse in a new way. I believe you'll be able to see the church in a new way. I believe you'll be able to see lost people in a new way. I believe you'll be able to see yourself in a new way. Our text simply says that he put his hands again upon his eyes and he was restored and saw every man clearly. Amen? Service is over, but our worship is not. We worship 24-7. And we worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For there is only one true God. Amen?